two killed in Russian shelling in flood zone, officials say. Victoria Kim Andrew E. Kramer Katie Rogers Cora Engelbrecht Lindsay Schuttle Cora Engelbrecht Russian attacks are complicating evacuation and aid efforts in areas devastated by the destruction of the Kakovka Dam. Two people have been killed and 17 others injured by Russian shelling in the Kherson region amid flood evacuations and rescues, complicating humanitarian efforts after the destruction of the Kakovka Dam, local officials said on Friday. The officials did not specify where the people had been killed. Some shelling landed on Thursday near an evacuation point at a central square in the regional capital where hundreds were gathered, witnesses said. The square was one of several areas in the city of Kherson targeted by Russian forces on Thursday, according to Ukrainian officials and witnesses. Russian forces targeted the flood-stricken city with seven waves of attacks involving 25 shells, Kherson's military administration said. From a boat in Kherson City's flooded Corbel neighborhood, a New York Times photographer saw two waves of shelling ten minutes apart. Russian shelling occurred just hours after President Volodymyr Zelensky visited Kherson City to observe evacuation efforts and thank rescue workers. On Friday morning, three days after the blast at the Kakovka Dam inundated an area of southern Ukraine, floodwaters in the Kherson region were receding but still at an average of more than 17 feet, said Alexander Prokutin, the Ukrainian head of the regional military administration. Russia also continued a broader assault on parts of Ukraine away from the front lines overnight and early Friday, launching six cruise missiles and 16 drones at different areas of the country, the Ukrainian Air Force said. Four of the missiles and ten of the drones were shot down, Ukraine's military said. Falling debris in the Zydomir region, west of the capital, Kiev, destroyed a residential building, killing one person and injuring three others, according to the regional military administration. Berislav, Ukraine, the destruction of the Novokakovka Dam is physically reshaping the nearby front, but not necessarily in ways that will impede Ukraine's long-planned counteroffensive with its newly acquired arsenal of Western weaponry. The main thrusts are expected in a different theater of the war, on the open plains of the Zaporizhia and Donetsk regions to the east. The changes on this part of the front line formed by the Dnipro River benefit and harm both militaries. Below the dam, soldiers who had faced one another in positions a mile or so apart across the river are now separated by miles of floodwater. Upstream, the reservoir, broad enough to be difficult to see across in places, is disappearing into mud flats, potentially drawing the two sides closer together, though the area is a smelly, boggy wasteland now without clear military utility. This will have a certain impact as the landscape of the future battlefield has changed significantly and even the front line itself has changed, Natalia Humeniuk, a spokeswoman for Ukraine's Southern Military Command, told local news outlets. But this is not a critical change. The military had planned for the possibility that Russia would blow up the dam, she added. President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine has warned of the same. The flood will have little effect on Ukraine's counteroffensive, as its military never intended to make fighting along the river a major part of the overall campaign, Mikhailis Samus, director of the Army, Conversion and Disarmament Center in Kiev, said in a telephone interview. Ukraine's threats of a river Rhine assault were designed to force Russia to deploy troops away from the main area of attack, he said. Before the flood we needed to cross the Dnipro, and after the flood it is the same, just harder, he said. 
auxiliary and diversionary maneuvers can still be conducted. Washington, President Biden and Prime Minister Rishi Sunak of Britain affirmed their support for Ukraine on Thursday, pledging to continue drumming up financial and military support for Kyiv as fighting intensifies on Russia's front lines. Mr. Sunak, who made his first visit as Prime Minister to Washington and is intent on establishing a post-Brexit Britain as a competent and reliable global player, said that his country would not turn away from supporting Ukraine even as both he and Mr. Biden face economic headwinds and domestic concerns about the length of the war. There is no point in trying to wait us out, Mr. Sunak said at a news conference with Mr. Biden in the East Room of the White House, addressing Vladimir V. Putin of Russia, whom he accused of wrongly assuming that the West would tire of providing support. We will be here as long as it takes. Mr. Biden said he was confident that he could persuade a divided Congress to support a new round of funding for Ukraine, though he would not put a dollar amount on the package. I believe we'll have the funding necessary to support Ukraine as long as it takes, Mr. Biden said, adding that the vast majority of his critics in Congress would agree that funding Ukraine would be better than allowing Russia to go unchecked. Video Player Loading When floodwaters from the Dnipro River swelled towards Serhiy Boyko's doorstep in Kherson, Ukraine, early Tuesday, he thought it was finally time to leave his hometown. I have lived through shelling and Russians trying to claim my home, said Mr. Boyko, 55, who had managed to hold out in Kherson since Russia's invasion with his wife, 88-year-old father, two dogs and four cats. But the water stopped some 30 feet from his front door, sparing his home. It is apocalyptic, but we are alive, he said. It is not the end. While the family home may have been spared, he said that the floods had completely submerged his eight-year-old vintage clothing business across town. Everything is gone, I am exhausted, he said. Over the past two days, Mr. Boyko said, he had rushed to help desperate neighbors who were retrieving belongings from flooded homes in the town of Antonivka, about ten minutes up the river from Kherson city centre. He said he had been caring for scores of animals across Kherson left behind by fleeing residents. Mr. Boyko's home lost electricity and gas in the flooding and shelling has resumed in the evenings. But he said he now had no intention of leaving. It is a new challenge, but we are well practiced in crisis, he said. Besides, who will care for all the animals in the city when I leave? Johannesburg, President Vladimir V. Putin of Russia and President Cyril Ramaphosa of South Africa reiterated their country's warm ties in a telephone call this week, their offices said, in another instance of Moscow seeking allies to avoid further isolation over the war in Ukraine. The call between the two leaders came as Russian diplomats have been mounting a charm offensive in Africa, engaging leaders of Burundi, Kenya and Mozambique as Moscow courts additional support. At the same time, South Africa has encountered disapproval from Western allies over its refusal to condemn Russia. In their conversation, Mr. Putin and Mr. Ramaphosa expressed commitment to continuing close coordination between Russia and South Africa on international platforms, the Kremlin said in a statement. Both leaders issued statements on Wednesday night after the call. The leaders' discussions focused on a planned African peace mission to Moscow and Kiev in a bid to facilitate negotiations, both statements said. Mr. Putin said he would welcome the delegation of African heads of state. 
Last month, Mr. Ramaphosa announced a peace mission that would include leaders from Egypt, Zambia, Senegal, Uganda, and the Republic of Congo. It is unclear when the trip will take place. Mr. Ramaphosa said, President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine welcomed the initiative over a phone call last month. But Mr. Zelensky has made clear that he would reject any calls for peace talks that do not include a demand that the Russian military first withdraw from all of Ukraine's territory, and Mr. Putin has shown no signs of wanting to make concessions. In their call, Mr. Putin and Mr. Ramaphosa also discussed the second Rush-Africa summit to be held in St. Petersburg in July and the gathering of BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, in August, the statement said. Mr. Putin's expected attendance at the BRICS summit in South Africa has become a growing source of global tension. Mr. Ramaphosa faces growing international and domestic scrutiny over whether his country, a member of the International Criminal Court, would arrest Mr. Putin and hand him over to the court. In March, the court, in The Hague, issued an arrest warrant over charges linked to Mr. Putin's role in the abduction and deportation of Ukrainian children. The warrant has forced Russia's allies who are also members of the court to decide whether they would host Mr. Putin on state visits. South African officials, mindful of their relations with Russia, have said they are seeking legal advice in weighing their obligations to the international court. On Thursday, the country's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, called for a bigger global response to the destruction of the dam, which sent water from a reservoir cascading downstream. To date, the United Nations has distributed more than 100,000 bottles of water and provided food aid to 18,000 people and cash assistance to 3,500 people, according to Jens Lerka, a spokesman for its Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. Conducting evacuations and providing clean water are among the most pressing needs in the flood zone, but the task has been complicated. Russian forces on the east bank of the Dnipro are still shelling areas under Ukrainian control. And there has also been unwillingness from some residents, who endured months of occupation followed by months under attack, to depart. Selina Kozakajevic, the Ukraine Area Manager for CARE, the international aid organization, said that many of those who live near the riverbank were elderly and suffered from ill health and disabilities. Many are still refusing to leave their homes, even if they are flooded, she said. This is a population that has been there since the start of the conflict. Even after the flooding subsides, people who choose to remain may face other risks for months or years, including from polluted water and landmines that have drifted from their original positions. Ukrainian aid groups, as well as most international humanitarian organizations working in Ukraine, are staffed primarily with nationals who have the advantage of speaking the language, understanding the country and often knowing the affected locality intimately. Ukrainian responders from the immediate vicinity, however, often face the additional challenge of being caught up in the very disaster to which they are responding. Even the best-prepared countries often struggle to manage major disasters alone, Mr. Edgelin said. He cited Turkey as an example of a country with a strong emergency preparedness sector that was nevertheless hard-pressed to deal with the aftermath of an earthquake in February that killed nearly 60,000 people. Countries hit by disaster need financial aid both to tackle the immediate crisis and then to provide long-term support. In this respect, the international visibility that war has already brought to Ukraine has made it easier for aid groups to raise funds.
In a bid to draw attention to other crises in which large numbers of people have been forced from their homes, the Norwegian Refugee Council last week published a list of the world's 10 most neglected displacement crises. All 10 countries were in Africa or Latin America, with Burkina Faso at the top of the list.